Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji as always for the Sunday of the European Continental Championships when it finishes actually with the men's road race, 180-kilometer course around Trento in the Sud Tyrol. It actually has the hardest, well, longest climbs in the first third of the race and then they go into a circuit doing a, the Povo climb. They do about eight times the climb. We saw it in the women's race yesterday is three and a half k's at five percent but it's steeper at the end but no outrageous pinches no part where you're like that's where Alaphilippe could launch it like you have on say Murder Britannia or the Cote de Fossil in stage one of the Tour de France so start list pretty stacked actually given that we've got everyone that is from a European nation um obviously no Michael Matthews here who would have won if Australia was allowed to participate but we do have Remco we've got a strong Belgian team Noel Fanart who's their leader in the world championships but they've got other characters who'd be in that race Campanarts uh Dylan Turns as well Franz Godbardet Thibaut Pino Pikachu's back in action no One. Valverde for Spain yes sir one country that's actually missing is uh, Denmark, who was not at the start line here, which is and Britain kind of surprising together with Great Britain. So I don't really know how how this works, uh, how certain teams are not here and certain teams are here. But in the end, if they're not here, that's their problem and not ours. So is it a Brexit thing? Seriously, uh, uh, no. Denmark's probably not the Brexit thing. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they drew a line at Hamburg and said no mask, but I guess Norway, Norway are here, so yeah, that rules out that theory. But yeah, there's some really, really solid riders here. We've got Hirschi uh, as well, Groschartner, who just finished the Vuelta Espana, Marcus Hulgarth in Norway, has just signed a two-year deal at Trek-Segafredo, but the favourites probably were the Italians, with Colbrelli in obscene form, supported by Ulisi, Trenton, and Moscow and Ghana, Catania, Bagioli, Gariotti, just outrageously strong team. And uh, I guess the three guys that we would expect to be good on this course are the obvious, Vlad van Aert, MVDP, and uh, Alaphilippe are not here. But before we get into Benji discussing the outrageous start to this race, mention our show partner, LaCole, who produced Performance Cycling Apparel. They've supported us. We passed our one-year anniversary already, uh, both the podcast and LaCole's support. And if you want to check out their performance cycling apparel, which is actually produced relatively close to here at the base of Monte Grappa uh, in Italy. Then you can see at the link below, www.lacol.cc. Benji, early action in this race, which you were keenly attuned to. Yes, yes, yes. I was watching this race and I was like, should I watch from the start? I should probably start watching from uh, from the start. And uh, I didn't know at that point that this would become one of the best races of 2021, in my opinion. And we started off with. Um, the earlier hills, the ones that you see at the start of the park, or the ones that are not part of the uh, circuit section. And we had a breakaway of four opening up. Van Hooke for Belgium, two riders from France, which was Champoussin and also Bonamour. And all, no, it was Parepentre and Bonamour, my bad. And as fourth rider, we had a, uh, a Spanish rider, Soto. So 
all in all, not the strongest of breakaways, but Parepantra and Bonamour have been in a lot of decent breakaways before Von Hook as well. I think he was the rider that crashed out in the Montalcino breakaway that Mauro Schmidt ended up winning in the Giro this year. And overall, his group was at the front for not that much time. I think like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. And we saw Trenton moving back in the group because he was going to the car. Again, no race radio. So that's what they have to do. Trenton, surprising that he does that in that team of Italians, because I would expect him to be one of the later ones in this race personally. And he went to the car and just a second later, he goes to the front. Then we've got Italy pacing with one or two riders at the front to try and keep this gap relatively close because they know there's a Belgian up front. No Belgians going to take over in the peloton. Not like uh, Van Avermaet at the Olympics riding from the start, for example. But uh, that group eventually got caught again because there was action in the group behind once again, attacks left and right. And also that Italy pace closing it down quite a bit. Another group goes while the other one has been caught, including a Belgian against on the Wolf. Argil as well, Adria for uh, Spain. That's a very talented rider. Keep that name in your head, Roger Adria. We've got Jonas Rapp, and uh, that's a German, and Oliveira in there as well for Portugal. And once again, Italy pacing behind. Filippo Ganna pacing, and if Ganna's pacing, you know that the tempo is pretty high, and you know that people in the breakaway are not likely to survive too much longer. And then we started the, uh, the biggest climb of this race, arguably, certainly. And that is the Kandriai climb. That was the 7.1%, 5.6-kilometer climb, the third one in the race. And we saw a move by Benemko Evenepoel in the peloton while all these groups were already caught at a certain point. I think he was following an attack, but I don't know who the attacker was. And that just attacks all over for a second there for like one to two kilometers before we dove into the descent head-on with basically a group of 38 left after that descent. Then, in all honesty, we keep talking about Remco being shit at descending and so forth at certain points. But he was second this entire descent, basically, in that group. And he was not really doing that bad of a descent. And the peloton was breaking up left and right. And the second that that 38-man group came together just after descent, we realized that the people behind were on decent gaps. And Kampenaut was in that group and was like, I'm going to set pace here for a bit. I'm going to counter attacks for... Remco Evenepoel and Campenarts was very strong from that point onwards, but it's kind of insane. With 100 kilometers to go, 38 people are left in contention of this race, and the rest is already in groups that are destined to go down. Isn't that, like, crazy? <laughs> yeah, and I guess Sam Bennett's made to trip out. It's his first race for a long time, and I think he got dropped on that one of the first climbs. Yeah. So I don't know what really the point of that was, uh, but... Anyway, he's back racing uh, as well as like Sagan was in trouble. So like I've got guys who I thought, you know, because there was a bit of hubbub, oh, Italy didn't pick Nizzolo. Well, the way this was raced, riders like Nizzolo never had a chance um, because they made the most of these early climbs yep. uh, before even. And then the, the last climb, which, you know, I've read it out, oh, 3K is 5%. That's not the hardest climb in the world. But the way they raced it and attacked on it, they made it, a lot harder for some of the bigger guys. But yeah, that group of 38 Benji, every time they hit a climb, was being stretched and attacked again and again. Yep. And those attacks kept on coming in that group. With 77k to go, Campanar just kept on attacking and countering attacks as well, mainly countering actually, and pacing for Remco in that group. And then we had another Polvo Ascension at 75k to go. And they go on to that climb, and it seems like Bardet is attacking while Campanar is just setting tempo with Remco in second wheel. And I just wasn't sure what Belgium was planning there. Were they just going to keep on riding with Campenarts up front? 
at the front of that 38-man group just riding ahead of Evenepoel? Or was Evenepoel about to go for an attack somewhere? But I think it was just that Campenarts was so, so strong today. We talk about the Olympics and we think about the domestic work of Trotnik. Today, that was certainly Campenarts in the initial portion of the race. Such a strong rider this man has become just from changing from a time trialist to everything else, except for like top level climber. <laughs> it's kind of insane. I can't wait to see what he does on a parkour like Roubaix and so forth. But the real action happened just after that Volvo Ascension. Once we go down, most of the attacks kept on coming on the flat section between the uh, climbs on the circuit. And we noticed the move by Podden, Hulgard, Trentin, Pogacar, and Kampenarts was the one to close that down for Belgium and follow that attack. And that group actually got a bit of a lead because Evenepoel was like, okay, there's a Belgian up front. I'm not going to do the work. Mohoric was like, uh, we've got a guy up there as well. Trentin's up there. So Italians were like, hey, not my job to do this. And we saw France that moved up and was setting up to do major tempo from that point onwards. And on to the next Polvo climb, something was happening because Pino started his pull. Uh, a very strong pull, not a long one, but a very strong pull. And then he went to the side of the road and just went to his goats in uh, in France again, while we saw Bargill take over, hammered it completely. And from that point onwards, everything was prepping for a move and Cosnefro was the one that was doing it. And you, you need to keep in mind, we still have that group like 30 seconds, 20 seconds ahead, the Padun, Hulgard, Pogacar group. And we see a move by Cosnefro in the peloton the second that in the breakaway, we also see a move by, um, by Pogacar doing exactly the same. So we've got two groups attacking at the same time. The, the attack of Cosnefry and Evenepoel following that was, was just too fast. And, and they basically drop almost the entire peloton, except for Hirschi, who was just behind. And then Italy just behind that with Colbrelli as well, trying to get back to that move by Cosnefry because that acceleration was very large and they all come together at the front and we've got a group of uh, the following riders, Hulgard, Evenepoel, Colbrelli, Trentin, Pogacar, Hirschi, Kosnefa, Kampenart, Sivakov and Odin. Odin actually imploding during this attack, but Hermans was also coming back and uh, when you see that group, what do you think about it? I think... I always go back to Remco as he's such a unique rider and he's obviously the favorite for Belgium who they're riding for and he's unique in the sense that he really can't sprint. Like he has so many strong attributes that he really like when you think of a guy like Pagacha, he actually, you know, he can actually sprint. If he gets everything right, if someone even like Cobrelli or Trentin makes a big mistake or leads him out and Pagacha's on one, you know, he nearly beat Wafanard in the, the Olympics. But for even a pole, it has to be solo. Whereas all these other guys in the group that you mentioned, except for Sivakov is the exception, but Hulgard, Benoit, Kozneffwa, he will back his sprint. They will all back their sprint and they really, they wouldn't mind dropping Colbrelli, thinning out the group a bit more to even, you know, improve your odds. But I, I thought, may, I, I didn't understand, Benji, why Hermans was pulling so much between the climbs. I thought... What you want to do for Belgium is make the climbs as hard as possible. I don't think Kozniefra or Colbrelli sitting in the group on the flat while you're pulling is really putting him under pressure particularly. I felt like use Hermans as a puncher like Patrice Stevenines on the climb, smash it. If you don't get separation, stop and then repeat the next climb because we've still got a couple of climbs to go or maybe even three. So rather than what I saw was them pulling, 
And then I'm like, well, Herman's going to blow up and then Avonhall's going to have to attack and if he doesn't, you know, if no one's set pace, it might not be able to get separation. And then you've got VC behind. Am I overrating the fact that maybe VC and the Wolf were cooked at that point and they wouldn't have been able to help anyway? I don't think Campanarts was completely cooked because the reason that he got in that second group was because of that mechanical that he had and he had to get two bike changes for that, which means that he likely still had the energy. He was looking really strong this entire race up to that point, so it wouldn't surprise me if he had something left because we know that Campanarts can hold on quite long in a race like this after seeing Benelux Tour this year. And in all honesty, I think that, as you say, Hedmonds probably should not have pulled that much in the... Uh, in the sections between the climbs, because if you look at the group behind that was forming a five-man group, uh, we eventually had like I think it was Almeida together with, oh, um, a Belgian was it? Campanars in the second group, uh, yeah, Campanars and, and Molima. The wolf following <laughs> with Molima, indeed, and we saw a move by by Almeida on the left side, and Molima suddenly was like, I'm not gonna pace that back. While he's got no Dutch riders ever, he needs to pace it back. What do you think? Belgium's going to do it for you. And actually, Belgium was going to do it for him. And Kampenarts comes to the front, starts pacing and asks for Mollema to take over. And Mollema's like, no, I'm not chasing back Almeida now. I don't know why he didn't do that. This doesn't make sense at all because at that point, he's basically ruining his own race from that point onwards. But uh, I think that it could have been beneficial for Belgium, even with bringing back Almeida and Mollema to also get the Wolf and Kampenarts back to the front. But yeah. They didn't, and uh, I'm not sure that it would have been a huge influence, but I think it's something that I would have at least considered personally. So we've got Trenton pacing in this group, group one forming. We've got the group behind chasing pretty much gives up. We're coming to the second last of the climbs, and we're thinking, well, Trenton and Colbrelli, they just want this all together. He's the fastest man here, but still against a group of 10, it's not, you know, that's not great odds. It could be better odds. Cosnefra has been is looked the strongest punching wise on the climbs following Remco before, and they get to the second last climb. Hermans, who's been pacing a lot of the flat and some of the rolling sections, gets onto the climb, paces for a long time on this second last climb, only twenty k's to go or so, and then Sivakov is the man to attack. It almost seemed like Remco was hemmed in a bit by the spectators on the right hand side. Kozinefra was in his wheel the whole time. Sivakov attacks. He's marked by Pagacha or Colbrelli, I believe, and then Remco counters. And a really strong counter bringing with him Kozinefra and Sonny Colbrelli. So Colbrelli continuing his unreal form into this race. And they drop Pagacha on this sort of the incline lessens a little bit. They drop him there and they're gone. They immediately get up to 20, 25 seconds. That's even with the three UAE teammates. Actually, no, Trenton's not pulling because he's Cobrelli's teammate. He or she and Pagacha, the two UAE teammates, are pulling. But the the rest of the group aren't really like Hulgard is probably on his limit, to be honest. So he's not working too hard. Sivakov's just attacked and then he got dropped and he's descending, you know, on the descent, he's pretty inefficient as well. So we have this group of three, and it's Remco pulling the entire time, which is Still somewhat surprising to me even here because Colbrelli didn't might probably wouldn't pull. I don't know. Would you pull if you were Colbrelli there? Would you back yourself in a group of 10 Benji against Hulgard Pagacha or would you offer turns here and there against Avon Apollo? Would you be too worried about the climb coming up to last Povo? Well, with Trenton there, he shouldn't have pulled at all. With Colbrelli just... I don't think Colbrelli should pay in general because like... 
people know that he's the best sprinter. On paper, it's the other way around that. They usually do it on the flat sections. Usually when a sprinter's in the group, the others won't pace and let the sprinter do the work. But on the climb itself, uh, I'd be like, I'm cold Brelli. I'll just follow. Like, I don't know how strong I'll be on the next climb if I can hold on. I had some trouble when Cosner Fry and Evenepoel went. So I would just save my energy as much as possible. And they can all like, I don't care. Like, it's not my problem. I'm riding for Italy and not for Belgium. So I should not be pacing at this point. And uh, if they've got Hermann's pacing and they have Hermann's in this group, then they've got two riders and I'm going to use that to my advantage. I'm going to tell them, okay, you've got two riders. So Hermann's can do all the work here. I won't. An important distinction to make here, which might not notice, is that if you go and look back at the tape, Remco's on the front pulling really hard in these flat sections. He offers no draft, just about. Cosnefra is second wheel for a lot of the fast section into the base of the last climb. I think he should have pulled, pushed Colbrelli through. He eventually did a bit later, but Colbrelli was getting a much better draft than Cosnefra. And we get onto the base of that last climb. We're like, Remco has to attack here. Kozinefra drops almost straight away as Remco's pacing. And Remco, I think he has to, the way he rides is he's not like Alaphilippe where he's going to just snap off, you know, 750 watts for 30 seconds, 800 watts for 30 seconds on the climb on a steep section gap called Rally. He has to see, try and do a, as hard a tempo for a long time on the steep sections as possible. Can't drop Colbrelli. Colbrelli looking under a bit of pressure but is so far into the climb. Can't drop him and they get to the crest. The gap is like... 30 seconds to, to close in front, maybe more. A minute to the group behind, we see the Belgian car go up alongside Remco Benji. What do you think they were saying? Well, what they on paper should say to Remco is, don't do anything, just sit in his wheel because you've got a situation, you've crossed the top of the last climb, unable to drop Sonny Colbrelli. If that happens, you know you're likely fucked for this race, but the only chance where you can do something is if you don't end up pacing the majority of the parts from this point onwards to the finish line and you don't have the first spot the entire time because you can't attack that easily from the first position in a group of two. You need to be in the wheel and need to try and do it at a surprise moment after a corner or into a corner or stuff like that. And the problem is the car went by him. I don't know what they said, but based on what happened afterwards, it seems like they either didn't communicate that he shouldn't be doing nothing from this point onwards. Or perhaps they told him, mate, you're fucked. Ride for silver. Then we've got a medal. Because if you completely stop and the other group comes past, you're going to get out sprinted for second easily. I think you should wait every time and not pedal. Because the way... It's a medal raise, though. I mean, do you think Remco is riding for a medal? The way he looked at the Belgium end? Remco is not riding for a medal. I agree, he- personally. like. <laughs> But it's something we need to keep in mind. I mean, maybe that explains why I find us sort of at uh, the big <laughs> international races and we might see at the World Championships. Maybe we'll see, yeah, Remco pulling Asgren in a group at World Champs because, you know, medals, uh, silver <laughs> medals, great. Um, but I would have stayed up because what you want for Remco and how he's often so six, it's so much harder, I think, to get a gap for a guy like him out of a corner on one guy, as Benji said, who's sitting right behind you, also who's stronger, who can just you know, throw in 800 watts for five seconds in the saddle, get straight back to your wheel. Let Cosnerfra come back. Colbrelli might not want that. And then you have another situation, or maybe let the group come back. And then what you want for Remco is you would do one of your little attacks out of the corner where it's in the saddle. You can't really see a perceptible change in his body. It gets five meters. And then you want two guys to look at each other. 
and then he's gone. That seems to, he has a lot of success attacking in that fashion. And sorry, but this isn't Amy de Hent. You're not just going to ride him off your wheel at Druven Curtis um, when the rest of the group just have gone the other way. This is called Brelli. Like, you can't just, you're not going to ride him off his wheel. So, Dan Lloyd on comms was. Um, yeah, was roasting the tactics, which I think was pretty spot on, to be honest, because he just basically let out Cobrelli for 10Ks. No. There's nothing more to say. He let out Cobrelli for 10Ks, didn't attack him. Maybe he couldn't have done anything anyway, but it went from a 5 7% chance of attacking him out of a corner to 0%. Because no. in this sprint, he Cobrelli dive-bombed him on the inside, got in front of him, and then was just looking at Remco. Because Remco, Cobrelli knows his sprint is so superior that he just is like, okay, when are you going to kick Remco? Sees Remco sprinting, doesn't get up to Colbrelli's back wheel. Colbrelli opens up, wins by seven bike lengths with a, a long post-up. So, yeah, I mean, a great result for Colbrelli. His level is insane right now. Yes, the climb wasn't that steep for to give Remco something, uh, and Remco comes second. But, yeah, how do you think Colbrelli, Benji, moves into the conversation for world championships alongside the likes of Asger and Pedersen, Wild Van Aert. Do you have him in that tier now with this current form? Because I do. Yeah, after Benelux, I was already seeing him as uh, one of the big guns there. And Italy in general has a strong team in this kind of races. And also in the likes of world championships races, we've got Ghana today who's acting on the initial sections. But on the world chance parkour, I would expect Ghana to be able to hold on longer and be more of a factor in the latter part of the race instead of in the first like 50 kilometers here so stuff like that is what could change the world championships compared to this but if this race is anything to show for the world championships then the world champs are going to be mad stuff but i'm just scared that the initial portion of the belgian uh world champs parkour is definitely not as hard as the european champs one and not as decisive in creating action from the start so that's why I'm uh, slightly scared for that parkour to deliver the same great result out of the entertainment as this race. But like you said, Colbrelli, a great win. Um, it sucks that he wins because, let's be real, the Italian jersey is not going to be seen until June next year in the peloton. And I hate that because it's one of the best flags in the bloody peloton. Would you see it in Bahrain Last year as well, anyway? needs a law. <laughs> Bahrain probably stuff it up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's worn it for quite a bit now. <laughs> True. Yeah, Nizzolo's is a great jersey, and they were validated Italy for leaving Nizzolo, the reigning European championship, champion, out of this race. But should do the top 10. And here's the gaps, which is why we like why is Remco pacing. Colbrelli first, Remco second, Kozniafwa third at a minute 30. And it was a big gap yeah. when the car came next to Remco. So I'd love to know what they said. Yeah, I, I think hope... 40 seconds at that point. Then it okay. went up to like 138 in, in the descent alone. So going into the final kilometers, like the final five to seven kilometers, Remco should not have been at the front of that group. And that's pretty clear. But uh, I think perhaps he was like, I think he was just very frustrated and couldn't make his mind about the tactic there because I think, it's it's a it's a mistake and he probably realizes it right now but in the end i do think that if you arrive at the top of that last climb with uh with cobrelli in a two-man group and you haven't dropped him on the climb then you're pretty much fucked so you've got like uh i wouldn't even say seven percent like you said or i would have said like three percent from that point onwards i had uh, like all thoughts on cobrelli winning but the saddest part about all this is that i had two riders that i had a bet on today for the first time i'm betting on cycling in months and that was Cosner for an Evenepoel. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, 
I want even if I was such short odds for this. But anyway, Kozlov third at a minute thirty. Trenton wins the group sprint behind at a minute forty three. Pagacha fifth, then he or she Hulgard, a nice result for Norway seventh. Then Hermans, who I'd love to see where he goes next year if he stays at ISN. Then Sivakov, Kampanas running up the top ten. Benji's on media watch in the Belgian press to see what was said from the car. I'm sure we'll find out later and Benji will tweet about it. Uh, but otherwise, other stories of this race, I guess, is the big world chance favourites not being here. Uh, in Wafanart, who, uh, if you haven't watched the Tour of Britain, here's the result. that He just won almost at the same time the Belgian um, favourite for the world championship. So interesting to see how the Avonapol Wafanart dynamic will play out at the world champs. Otherwise, any other talking points from this, Benji? I guess Sivakov continues to look good. And Kampenarts, I think. Let's talk a little bit about Victor Kampenarts, who's rebranded himself completely. <laughs> to It's almost inconceivable to think 18 months ago that this is the sort of rider and level he could be, be at, being in you know a frontline important domestique now for the World Championships for Belgium on that sort of course. Yes, certainly. I think it started off all... On that breakaway stage during the Giro last year, where he basically realized that he could do stuff next to Tramtral properly, and he's he brought himself to that second spot. And the next year, he he went for it. He decided to train more for the cobble sections. We saw that the results in Tramtrals that were significantly worse than last year, and he was very active during races, like in Le Samad at the start of the year. He was attacking basically every corner, Kurmbrzelkuen as well. The problem is if you attack the whole time, it's not very useful because by the time a decisive attack comes, you don't have the energy anymore. And it seems like he had to learn that across the entire season so far. And more and more, he seems to be spending his energy more wisely through races. Today, he was more in a domestique role. I think if you don't put Campenarts in a domestique role today, he's in a last 10-man group. And he was technically even in a, in a domestique group <laughs> role. So crazy ride by... Uh, by Campanards, and I can't wait to see more of him. I said it earlier, Roubaix. I hope he rides it. I think he does, according to uh, what I've seen so far. So uh, I'm curious yeah, what he can do it. on a parkour like that. It's on his uh, upcoming participations on Pro Cycling Stats. He's got Grand Prix de Wallonie. He should do well there. He's come sec- even six years ago. He came second at Tour de Wallonie. Do you reckon Benji? Going back, if he went back to 2015, Victor Campanats, he would have made this change sooner because the potential's there when I look at his Palmares. Like he's came second on GC at Balboise of Belgium Tour in 2019 where Remco was, beat him in a stage there as well, although I think that's where Remco like pulled the entire time again and then lost in the sprint but still won GC, I believe. Do you think if he could go back in time and thinking money-wise, he would have made more money if he committed to being a classics guy, particularly as a Belgian? Um, I think he might have, personally. I think he might have had, even if you're getting fifth and sixth in some of these big races, you're going to get paid pretty well and you're not going to be on one-year deals anymore Um, because, yeah, he's had a bit of – he's had to chop and change teams a fair bit. So do you think he would have changed or do you think the TT thing was just an itch he had to scratch and he got unlucky with the likes of Ghana turning up? I vaguely remember – an interview some at some point in uh in his career where he was talking about why he chose time trial as the thing he wanted to do and it was because he wanted to be the best at one thing and wanted to be better than everyone else at one thing and that's why he did time trial because he would he was pretty good at it and he was like 
that's closer to me potentially being better than other people at that point. And he was very close to being one of the best time trialists in the world, like arguably in the top seven at certain years in, in the last five years. And perhaps he realized after his one, uh, one hour record uh, holder thingy and then not being able to succeed at becoming the best time trialist because you had the Dennis, you had Ghana coming around now. And once Ghana came around, it seems like perhaps that was a switch like, I'm fucked if I keep on doing this. I'm never going to be the best if Ghana's around. And I think that's partially the reason those young talents taking over in that aspect and being more prominent there and potentially being a, an obstacle in the road of becoming the best time trialist in the world. And perhaps that was why he was like, okay, I should look for different places to to win stuff now. And I think he probably does not regret that change at all. No, definitely. And now can extend his career much, much longer because now it's like, what does the next four years, five years hold for Campanats if he keeps improving as this guy and making the transition he has? Yeah. Speaking of time trials, we just round out the results of the European Champs men's ITT, 22.5K is long, and we had a lot of good riders here we've just mentioned, and it's why it's so hard to win World Tour-level time trials when you're coming against Cavanaugh, Kung, Dennis, Wafanat, Pagacha, Roglic, uh, Dumoulin, who won another one? I'm missing someone. I'm probably, uh, I always, we always forget Cavanaugh, so I made sure I did him first. <laughs> but that was won by Stefan Kung, who's been the, uh, always the, the groom, the, what is it, the, the groomsman, never the groom? What's the expression? Yeah. Bridesmaid. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Thanks but to the producer. He's turning that around <laughs> this year. He beats Ghana. By eight seconds in a 55k an hour, 25 minute TT, 15 seconds into Avonapol, then Bissiger fourth, Valscheider, a nice result actually uh, in fifth. I'm not sure. Maybe Valscheid's, can someone check? Was Valscheid able to use different equipment, non trade team equipment here for Germany? Uh, Affini sixth, Asgren seventh, Bodnar eighth, a nice result, Cavanaugh ninth, and Almeida tenth, Pagacha in twelfth. So as I said, Pagacha TTing is not always. Uh, phenomenal. Sometimes it's, I bet he's probably been on holiday and he's just coming back yeah. now. But Kung Benji and beating Ghana, it's got to be his best TT performance ever if for him. Yep, certainly. And the thing about Kung is like the 20 kilometer time trials have always been the best kind of time trials for him. Every single time, those were the ones where he was performing really well. I think he was European champs last year as well, although the competition there was just lower. And he did get third last year as well at the World Championship. So he's always very close, but he needed that one where he could just be better than everybody else. And it seemed like that was the case here. And it was odd because this was a really close fight at the intermediate. I swear that Gana was like first time at intermediate, two seconds or, or so ahead of uh, Evenepoel. And then Kung was a bit further behind. I think it was four to five to six seconds or something uh, on Gana. So... King had to come from behind and had to be the better man on the second section, do a bit of a negative split, but perhaps accidentally that he didn't go fast enough at the start. And I was like, okay, now I need to go a bit faster in the second section to try and catch up. And I looked at the last kilometer and we saw Ghana flying through every corner. And I was saying at that point, Ghana wins. Like, even if Poole's not going to fly through the corners exactly in the same way that Ghana just did. And then King did exactly the same, but even faster. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. He came through that corner and I was like, what, 16 seconds for the last section? I was like, this this has to be wrong. How? 
<laughs> and, and in the end, he ends up winning. I'm so happy that he's got that and that he that he doesn't have that disappointed face he had the last few times. He was just second on a few seconds, which was heartbreaking. Was it the Pagacha hot seat where he looked so disappointed? Stage five of the Tour de France. Oh, yeah. He was so sad. Anyway, he's on a long-term deal at FDJ into 2023. They seem to have improved their equipment. Um from what I can see, you know, they revamped the uh, their bikes as well. He's 27 in the prime of his life. I really, really want to see how he goes at Paris Bay because he is in in good shape, Stefan Kung, and I, it suits him more Paris Bay. Uh, one would think than it's even Benelux to to yeah. be honest. Uh, so I can't I, wait um, to see him there. Want to talk one second about Walshine and have a question for you? We know that there's rules like above one meter ninety, you can use custom stuff or something or longer extensions. It was. But he's one meter ninety nine. Is it a big deficit to Walshite that there's no rule for like even longer extensions above one ninety five or something? I don't know what the extensions rules are. They just seem so arbitrary. Like Sivakov's one eighty eight, and he's always going to have a worse TT because the rule starts at one ninety. Obviously, Walshite should be allowed extra extra long I, I don't know i saw a photo of a uci race on twitter where maybe the french uci race where they the guys just hang the bike up you know they normally have a jig to measure it's all supplies yeah. there's just like a cardboard cut out of a jig behind <laughs> yes. you just sort of poked it. it's like net you know when you go into a store and you're like oh these these trousers will fit and you just like put like <laughs> just hold them over yourself and they fucking never yeah fit. and the funniest <laughs> part about that one was it, it wasn't even garbage i think it was like a paper or like plastic it was flapping thing in and the wind the wind was flapping it around and it was in no was way correct flat. or even noticeable if the bike was the correct size it was uh just a gigantic <laughs> joke but hey i guess that's uh part of our sport and that's what makes it fun for us to talk about i guess i mean what would happen if if Art was 188 or remco had to wear his socks legally i mean belgian tting would be in absolute tatters uh, <laughs> don't <laughs> say that <laughs> I haven't even looked at the TT for the World Champs course. I've, in case people haven't noticed, by the way, it's I've flat. Been, is it flat? All right, makes completely sense. flat. I've, I've had a bit it's of a holiday last week. Um, going to Barcelona tomorrow. Going to maybe French Basque Country after that. And uh, I've been bring. My, I've got to bring my equipment with me, Benji, just in case the Miguel and Hel Lopez news, which we saw the rumor. A um, bit of a tangent here, but we saw the rumor in El Pace that oh, the contract's done. They're just working out with the lawyers. Like when is it? going to be announced officially have i missed something when i've been elf hanging in the in the mountains as in the news of lopez being ditched by movistar yeah. is it, it's not confirmed yet right it's not completely confirmed yet and uh, i guess it's a matter of time because it sounds like the rumors are pretty pretty official <laughs> at this point but uh i guess we'll we'll cover it when it happens i want to i want to get your pre- i'm not letting you off so easy i want to get your preliminary <laughs> take on this if you're lopez and you actually wanted to stay at movistar I think it would have been possible, except the all the leaks from his camp, his father-in-law and his wife on giving actual interviews about it. I think, I think that was tough and not a strategic. If he did want to stay, not a, a good move strategically. I wouldn't want to say, if I'm Lopez, you wouldn't want to. No, because if the team considers throwing you out for that reason. I wouldn't want to stay with the team. I agree with you. I, I they can agree. fuck off. 
to be honest. And also, it was confirmed, uh, Rival Cycling Podcast, the cycling podcast, which <clears throat> I, I was listening to, they, there was an interview and Freeb translated it uh, for from uh, Unzue. And Unzue confirmed, he told them, this hasn't been conf- like on Twitter widely um, sort of talked about. Unzue confirmed he told Lopez to stop. That is confirmed. But the difference is he told him to stop to wait for Rojas now, which is semi-defensible. But when that happened exactly, we don't know. If you tell him to wait for Rojas when the gap's at 20 seconds, it's like, are you kidding? But if you tell him to wait when it's at three minutes, I think that's actually not a bad thing to say. Uh, I Like, the gap was so significant at that point for the, for the waiting for Rojas part, like, Rojas was not ten seconds behind, so <laughs> he was back in. He was back in a different province at that point. <laughs> like it, the the entire story of that stage just doesn't make sense to well. And I, I at this point, I, I, I also blame the management management of this team completely. And like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, in in total, my opinion about him being com- like exited from the team is just it's just dumb from Movistar's point because. Lopez is the most winning rider on their team, Easy. and they are currently three or four positions from being thrown out of the World Tour after next season because they're so close to it in points. He's the one that let out. So before he won on Gamonetera, he he let out Valverde for the Dauphiné stage win. So exactly, like that was their he, biggest win. He's the only re- person in the three-man leadership. That wants to work for other people when it's necessary. Yeah, I've got a big video coming if he does. The contract does get terminated. I'll be compiling it, drafting in the background. Detail going through the Vuelta. Mars did not help Lopez ever. He did in the Dauphiné. He did leave him out in the Dauphiné. Have, though. I think. I think it's a... He, no, he I shouldn't mean, have, but... Uh, why couldn't he help him when they were pacing on... Uh, when Roglic attacked and cooked himself? Yeah, true. Why not? Why, why is that all on Lopez? Why not that? Why not that? But yeah, that's enough <laughs> on that drama. Um, we'll be producing content about that when and if it does happen. Because yeah, I think if Mars had had thrown that sort of action, I don't think he'd be getting his contract terminated. Yeah, certainly not. He's that's Spanish. Not, that's not, <laughs> Benji said it, but yeah, I think it, it as well. It, it, it's true. But in the end, I also want to, next to that Lopez story, uh, point you to our Twitter. I put a tweet up uh, one or two or three days ago for a... Uh, an upcoming second Q&A in the coming months and a half, perhaps, somewhere whenever we see it fit during uh, or after the races. And uh, we'll be taking questions from there. I can't promise we'll answer every single one, but we will give it a try, okay? Is that once we hit 20,000 subscribers on YouTube? Yes, only if we hit 20,000 subscribers <laughs> yeah. on YouTube. All right, that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> thanks to our show partner, Lakov, for supporting the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this little tangent at the end and what was a very enjoyable European Championships. And we'll see you sometime when there's the next world tour race uh is one frankfurt okay whenever that is all right we might have something in the interim just to keep yourselves going ciao mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 